Did, did you know that right now, in, in our age of technology, our age of progress, with social media, with connectivity, even with all that, like this bazillion different ways that we can engage with another human being, that right now we are the loneliest we have ever been in the history of humanity. Did you know that? I mean, right now, there are more people who struggle with loneliness today than they ever have before. And, and you know, the, the pandemic has only exacerbated the problem. I mean, I mean, think about the, the way we try to alleviate the spread of COVID-19. Every bit of it screams, get away from me. I mean, from, from social distancing, you know, like I got to keep my distance. You're saying you get too close, I'm going to walk back. I mean, I'll, I'll shelter in place is like literally stay away from everybody. And then when you finally do get to a place where you can be with other people, you got your mask up. So you, you can't, all you can see is their eyeballs. You can't see their face. You don't know their expression. And, and when you get up to somebody, you, you got that, you go to a grocery store, you got that plexiglass. It's my favorite. I saw this today when I went to the grocery store. But you, you, you see like a plexiglass and, and a lady leans over, pulls down her mask to talk. It's like not doing anything because nobody wants to be separated by this plexiglass, but it screams, get away from me. I mean, every bit of it is about creating distance, understandably so, because you're trying to slow the spread of this virus. But I think the unintentional consequence of that is a host of tragically lonely people. And, and this is why I've gotten asked before a few times, Jason, why have you reopened the church back up, especially early when we, when we came back together again? There were some saying, look, we got our virtual services. You, you can have preaching. You can have worship. You can do it where we're at a safe distance. And why are you risking people by having them come back to church? And I definitely understand the heart behind it. And if you feel that, maybe you're watching this because you still feel that way. Like it's too risky to come together and we don't have to. I understand there is definitely a risk in coming together because of the pandemic that's still around. But there is also a risk that could be just as serious of mental health issues that come from the isolation. And I just don't know if we can handle that much more isolation as a people. There are severe ramifications of it. I was reading a study from Harvard and I have some stats here that were just staggering. One of them says that 36% of all Americans say they feel serious loneliness. 36%, that's one, over one out of three, don't just feel like some loneliness or moderate. They feel serious loneliness, debilitating loneliness. Interesting fact, 51% of mothers with young children feel serious loneliness. This, this didn't used to be the case, but obviously the stay-at-home uh, directive that we had shelter in place and then school adjustment, moms with little kids are overwhelmed, they're isolated, they feel lonely. But what's interesting is that even as things have opened back up, that stat hasn't gotten a whole lot better. There are still so many young mothers who feel serious loneliness. The one that was the most surprising, if this hadn't been a study done by Harvard, I don't know if I'd believe it, but it says 61% of young adults reported they feel serious loneliness. 61%. That's, that's, that's three out of five young adults over half who feel serious, debilitating loneliness. It, it used to be they thought this was primarily a senior adult issue. And that all the studies, if you look pre-COVID, they're all about senior adults who are struggling with loneliness. That some are shut in. Some have lost friends and loved ones. And so all the studies were geared toward them. And in this fascinating turn of events, now it's young adults who are struggling with immense, serious loneliness. It is incredible how it shifted. And of those who are lonely, it says 50% of the people report wanting someone to ask them how they're doing in a genuine way, but they feel like no one, no one does, no one cares. You just want somebody to look you in the eyes and ask you, how are you doing, and really care, but they feel like nobody ever does. You might get the, hey, how you doing, when someone's walking by, but nobody really looks in the eye and wants to know how you're doing. Half of the people in this country feel like they have no one who cares. 19% of people 
almost one out of five said that no one cared about them outside of their family. No one, not a single individual really took interest and care if they weren't related to them. One out of five people in the U.S. feel that way. 45% of lonely people report reaching out to others more than they reach out to them. In other words, I'm trying to reach out, check on everybody else, but nobody is checking in back on me. Almost half of people in the U.S. feel that way. And, and what's so tra tragic about that is the more we reach out and the less we feel like people are reaching out to us, the more we stew in our loneliness and the lonelier and lonelier we get. And, and I got to be honest with you, social media has not helped the problem at all. In fact, there are so many intense studies done about the effect of social media as it's generating greater uh, uh, presence of loneliness and depression. And it's, it's fascinating because of the way social media works. All the different platforms, they're designed to create addiction to them. That's, that's how you make profitability. So you get people coming back and utilizing again. And one of the most addictive forms of it is this torture of not enough likes on a, a comment or post that you put out there. You keep kind of like Pavlov's dog. Every once in a while you get a post that gets some traction. And so you keep wanting more and more of it and always feeling like you're not liked and no one cares about you. And the worst part, Instagram, Twitter, you're putting, you see all these pictures of everybody hanging out and all of a sudden you feel lonely because you know you weren't included. It's kind of like the, the child who was poor but didn't know they were poor until one day they went to school and they saw people who had more money and all of a sudden they realized they were poor. That's kind of the way it is with social media. You didn't realize you were lonely until you look at all these pictures of everybody else hanging out and you weren't included and all of a sudden you feel lonely for the first time. Social media is just, just making the problem worse, making us feel lonelier and lonelier. And the real rub is that you can't just get over it. It's not like you can just go, all right, I'm going to snap out of loneliness, going to slap myself in the face, I'm going to be okay. That's not how it works. Because really the way loneliness is the, the, the most tragic, the most destructive is the spiral that it begins to have, specifically with depression. There are a lot of studies that correlate the two, and they say that the lonelier a person is, the more prone they are to deep depression. But here's the problem with depression. Depression has a characteristic, a tendency to withdraw from other people. And guess what that does? It makes you lonelier, which makes you more depressed, which makes you withdraw even more. And there it goes, a cyclical pattern, making it worse and worse and worse. Until we end up in these tragic places where our, our mental health is being wrecked. And what's so interesting is not just our mental health, our physical health is being wrecked by it as well. I, I read a study that said that loneliness is more dangerous to your body than obesity. And it is just as damaging to your body as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's how destructive physically that loneliness can be. It's because it triggers anxiety, it triggers depression, substance abuse, domestic abuse, heart disease, and a whole host of other problems. And so this loneliness that we're dealing with isn't just a mental issue, it's a physical issue, and it is catastrophic. And, and here's where I get the most frustrated. As the church... We are the ones who should be crushing it when it comes to this community thing because we are one people united by the same spirit. We are the people who are supposed to have the answer. Come be with us. We're supposed to be the best at community. And so when society is hungry for community, here should come the church. And yet there are so many Christians struggling with intense and immense loneliness. And I think we have to wrestle with why that is. And, and if we were honest... For many Christians specifically, I think the reason why is because we've just grown to use the pandemic as an excuse to avoid community just because we're not used to it anymore. I think we have a tendency to use it to say, well, you know, maybe it's dangerous to get together or maybe, you know, I, in a, a little while later I'll start doing it when things crank back up. We use it as an excuse when the truth is 
it's just become a habit now. We just have a habit of not joining together with biblical community. And I think the Word of God wants to confront that dangerous habit. And we're going to start this morning in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. So if you have your Bible, I want you to open it up, book of Hebrews, chapter 10. We're going to read just two verses, 24 and 25. In these two verses, we're going to learn, first of all, uh, specifically just how beautiful community can be. But you're also going to learn just how, how addictive and how dangerous, how habitual it can be when you stop meeting together. So two verses, Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 24, says this. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. All right, so these two verses, they give us a pro and a con. So the, the pro part, it says that if we want to grow in our faith, apparently we can't do it alone. We need others to stir us up to love and to good works. So if we want to be loving people, if we want to do good works, if we want to be like Christ, we need other people to pour into us. We can't do it alone. And there are too many Christians who've come to the conclusion that I can just watch this service online. I can just do my own church thing and just me and Jesus, as long as we got this good, we're okay. And there are a number of people who go a step further after this. Well, you know, now I can, as long as I just listen to some preaching, I'll just put a podcast on my driving to work and then I'll hear some preaching and maybe throw on a little worship music when I go for a jog and that'll be enough for me. I'm still growing spiritually and we think it's going to be enough. And we don't realize that we will not be able to grow spiritually unless there is flesh and blood in our life that can stir up inside of us love and good works. We need one another. This is why our, our D groups, and I'm going to tell you a little bit more about those in a second, are so pivotal. Because our discipleship groups, our D groups, are designed in such a way to stir up one another to love and good works. Specifically through accountability. They ask questions like, hey, how, how much of the scriptures have you been reading? How have you sacrificially served someone else? How are you representing Christ at work? Are you praying for the lost? Are you sharing your faith? All these things that we know we need to do because they're love and good works. And these groups are designed to stir up one another in love and good works, to get all up in our business, and we need it. Now, we may not like it, but apparently, according to the Scripture, we need it. So that's the pro of community. We have people who stir up love and good works. But there's also a warning in verse 24. It said, don't neglect to meet together as is the habit of some. And what the author of Hebrews is telling us here is that it, it's very easy for it to become habitual not to join together with biblical community. I also think it's interesting that the people in this book were suffering from some of the same conditions that we have. There was risk in gathering together. There was a danger in coming to the public gathering. Now, the, the historians are a little bit divided about what exactly is taking place, but many believe that they were enduring a time of persecution, that it was actually dangerous. It was risky to get your family and go to the, the public house church where you would gather together. And so for a season, they wouldn't gather together just so that the risk could die down, and then they would come back together when the risk was over. It's very similar to many of us during the pandemic. It was risky to come together because of the virus. And so for a season, we were supposed to not gather together, do things virtually, and then assume that we would just start coming back together again on the other side of it or when things started to get safer, when people started to get vaccinated. But the problem we didn't anticipate is how easy it would be for it to become a habit not to gather together again. And that's exactly what he's talking about here. It became habitual. It was just easier for you to watch this online. I mean, what used to take three hours to drive all the way to a church, to be there, to do the different things you got to do, put your kids where they need to be, and then have your worship service and then pack everybody back up and drive home. And I took three hours. Now it takes about an hour and you can do it in your jammies. It's just a whole lot easier. 
And, and it's convenient. You can do whatever you want to. I want to watch it a little bit later on. I want to watch it uh, a next day, whatever. It's, it's very convenient for me to do it online. And so we just get in a habit of not gathering together with the church. And we don't even realize that it's becoming a habit. And I think we need to recognize it and we need to break unhealthy habits and come back into biblical community. Now, I know there are some of you watching this go, wait, what are you saying, Jason? I'm vulnerable. I, I fall into that place where it's really dangerous for me. You tell me that I have to go back to the, the public gathering of the church? No, no, not, not at all. This is why we're still producing these services. We want to be able to minister to you, to project the services so that you can be a part of it. If, you, if you're sick or if you're vulnerable, if you're traveling, whatever, we want you to stay engaged. In fact, we're, we're investing a lot of resource into these online digital services because we want to make sure that we can minister to you wherever you are. To which you go, well, I'm, I'm totally confused, Jason. You just told me that it's very dangerous to get in the habit of only doing this online, but you're telling me you're investing a whole lot in your online services. W which one is it? Well, w it's both. You just got to understand why we're investing so much in our digital services. That there, are, there are three main reasons why we're doing it. First of all, it's intended to be a stopgap for this season as we're going through the global pandemic. And the pandemic's not over yet, praise the Lord. Even just locally, I saw I got a report that numbers are going down finally after this Delta uptick. Praise the Lord. We're going to endure this somehow, some way, make it through this. And so this has been a stopgap for us, a chance to minister to the church body in all the different places where we are. And we want to continue to do that. But it's intended to be a season, just like it was in this passage, a season. I heard it quoted before that a season always has a beginning and an end. And so if there is no end of your season, then it's not a season, it's your life. And I think for some people, that's what's happened. It, it, we thought it was going to be a season, but it's just become normal. It's our life. It's habitual. And this isn't intended to be the rest of your life. You just isolate and only tune in online. It's a stopgap. It's a seasonal thing. Second thing, though, while we're investing so much is we've learned that these online services are incredibly beautiful front door entrance points into the biblical community of our church. There are some of you watching this right now, and the reason you're tuning in is because someone invited you to our church. Now, you never would have stepped foot in the physical building of the church because you didn't know, are these a bunch of crazy people? Are they going to start doing like incantations over me? Are they going to trap me? I don't know what kind of weird stuff happens in those church buildings. I don't want to go. But if you can tune in online and watch what we do, you still have the power. You got the controller in your hand. If you don't like what I'm saying, you, bloop, you can just turn me off, which you may do in just a moment. Just bloop. You have full control, so you can check in on it. You can have a front door. And what you're discovering is, man, I kind of like these people. They speak some truth. They, they worship the Lord. I, I might want to find out. We had so many new people come to our, our in-person gatherings through our online services because it's a great front door. And so we want to continue to leverage that, not just here locally in the DFW area, but across the world where people can get entrance into the church. The third reason, though, that we are investing even more in our digital services it's because we believe that it is a funnel toward connection to biblical community. That this isn't the end game. We want to take this and get you connected to flesh and blood, people who can stir up in you love and good works, where you can have that habitual gathering and not the neglecting of that gathering. And, and I want you to know, what I mean by that isn't just you come to our public gatherings, because truth is you could be in a public gathering and still be as lonely as possible, not connected to anybody. The issue isn't, are you sitting around physical human beings? The, the issue is, are you known? Does someone know who you are? Do you know who other people are? That's the goal. And we want to leverage our digital services toward that because we know that when you're known, that's when you're going to change. I, I like how Larry Crabb puts it. He's the author of a book called Connecting. And he wrote this. He said, no lie is more often believed than the lie that we can know God without someone else knowing us. Here's his point. 
You can't know God unless you are known because part of knowing God and loving God is loving the people around you. Jesus himself said it. He said, here's the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then he says, bonus, second one, love your neighbor as yourself. And what he was saying is you can't really love God unless you love your neighbor. You have to be with people. That's why in the Bible, there are so many one another passages in the scriptures, over a hundred of them. Let's say things like, like this one is stir up one another, encourage one another, love one another, pray for one another, forgive one another, be patient with one another, serve one another. Uh, all these one another's in the Bible can only be done when you are with another person. So it's predicated upon community, being close to one another. And I believe the Lord is saying to you that you need to have that. Now, I, I want to say for, for those of you who are watching this, in a moment, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to invite you to get close in biblical community with somebody else to take a step of faith and to recognize you need other people in order to make this happen. But I, I want to forewarn you about something. I want to make sure you understand the oddity of biblical community. Because you may be hearing me right now going, okay, I hear you. Touche, Jason. I need to be with other believers. God's word apparently says it. I'm ready. I'm ready to go in there and get a whole lot out of my community group, out of my discipleship group. I, I'm ready for it. And you are uh, in grave danger of being very disappointed by biblical community if you don't understand how it works. So I, I, this is a little statement I want you to understand. I want to make sure I say it right. Here's what it is. Community is richest when you seek it for others' sake above your own. Now, I know that sounds entirely counterintuitive, but you're just going to have to trust me. According to Jesus, community is richest when you seek it for someone else's sake and not just for your sake. And here's what I mean by that. I mean, if you go to a group for what you can get out of it, you're going to be disappointed. And here's the reason why. Every single group has what's called an EGR. If you don't know what that means, that just means an extra grace required kind of person. Every group, doesn't matter how small or how big it is, they're going to be at least one, if not multiple EGRs. They are just going to require a whole lot of extra grace. And by the way, if you're in a group and you don't know who the EGR is, it's probably you. <laughs> you're the one who doesn't realize you're requiring some extra grace. But because these groups have these people that require extra grace, if you're going into a group by trying to get what you can get out of it, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be frustrated. Therefore, you have to go to a group with the idea of what can I give to it, not what can I get from it, which that's just the Jesus way. The Jesus way is what, what makes biblical community possible. This ethic of saying, I'm coming in to love others, even above myself. In fact, I think the Apostle Paul, he really captures this idea. I want to finish with this particular passage of Scripture in the book of Philippians, chapter 2. In a moment, we're going to read 1 through 5. Now, I'm going to go ahead and set it up for you, though. Paul is going to tell us in 1 through 5 that we're supposed to have community the Jesus way. But verses 6 through 11 tell us what the Jesus way is. The Jesus way is Jesus humbling himself taking on the form of a servant, becoming obedient to the point of death. It is Jesus coming to earth so he can live our sinless life for us because we couldn't and then take our sin and shame and die on a cross so that we could be saved. Everything he did was for us, for others to serve and to give. And when you understand the Jesus way, then you understand how community works. So according to the Jesus way, Paul tells us in verses one through five of Philippians two, exactly what biblical community is supposed to look like. Listen to what it says. Verse one, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Listen to this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. 
Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He says it very simply. Have this mind. Be like Christ Jesus. And what was Jesus like? He considered others more important than himself. He looked out for their interest above his own. That's what the whole message of the cross is, is Jesus coming saying, I'm doing this for them. It's not about me. And that's the call to community, to do it the Jesus way. To take Jesus at face value in Luke chapter 6, verse 31, when he says the golden rule, do to others what you would want them to do to you. That's how you approach community. You do all the one another's for their sake, not for yours. You approach community going, how can I love them? How can I encourage them? How can I stir them up? How can I serve them? How can I be patient with them? How can I forgive them? It's about them. And I guarantee when you approach biblical community for their sake, you will always find richness from it. But the moment you approach biblical community for your own sake, you will be disappointed. You are going to get hurt. And you want to know why? Because people are messy, that's why. Let's be honest. You know this about the people around you, but people, they can be rude. They can be flaky. They can be selfish. They, They can be egotistical. They can be demeaning. They can be forgetful. They can be resentful. I mean, they can be all these things that are super hard to be around. And you want to know why you know this about people? Because sometimes you're rude and flaky and selfish and egotistical and resentful and demeaning. You're all these things too. I'm these things too. It's what it means to be human. We're broken. And when you get a bunch of broken people together, it gets messy. And so you have to approach it with the idea, not that I'm going to get from all this, but I want to give myself to them. But because people are broken, because they have need, you will always find the capacity to serve somebody else. So if you approach biblical community with the idea, how can I serve someone? You will always be served because you will be able to express that in the deepest, most possible way for the people that are broken around you. Now, I know you hear that and you're going, but I don't need any more drama in my life, Jason. I got enough going. Why would I ever do that? We'll make it very simple for you. You do it for others because Christ did it for you. I mean, that's the whole message of the cross. The, the cross is the greatest example of biblical community. The cross is Jesus saying, I've come to this earth for your sake. I, I received the insults. I, he was around people who were selfish and who were rude and who were flaky and who were egotistical and, and who were demeaning. And they crucified him and he let it happen. Why? So he could save us. That's what he did for us. And then he says, my people, follow me. Do it my way. And therefore, he calls us to enter into biblical community, not for what we can get out of it, but what we can give to it. And you will always find people that you can serve, that you can love, that you can forgive, that you can be patient with, that you can stir up, that you can encourage, that you can build up. You will find them and you'll be able to do exactly what Christ has done for you. But here's the most beautiful part of it all. In a way that's almost magical, when you enter into a group for the sake of serving everyone else, you are going to discover that people want to serve you too. And you're going to discover these needs met inside you because you've gone with a heart to serve others. I mean, I just saw this a few weeks ago in such a tangible way. So my wife, a few weeks ago, she came down with COVID. Praise the Lord, she's doing great. She was able to get over it quickly. And, uh, and, but during the, the week that she was in quarantine, the time that she was down, I, I was amazed by the quantity of people who brought food to our house. I mean, I, I started to feel ashamed at the amount of food coming. It had nothing to do with me. You want to know what it had to do with? It had to do with my wife, Virginia, because my wife is a machine about finding people in need and taking a meal to them. We had to, we had to create a separate bank uh, account so that we could have money to provide all the food that she wants to give to people whenever they're hurting. So she's always taking food to people in need. 
And what happens when she's in need? Man, the floodgates opened up. We had so much food. I think the whole family gained about a collective 85 pounds from that one week because so many people brought food. And it's just a testament. When you go in to serve, people want to serve back. That's how community works. You draw in saying, who can I serve? And all of a sudden we discover that there are people around us who love us and pay attention to us because we love them and pay attention to them first. So that's my challenge for you. My challenge for you is to say, okay, I need to be in biblical community. I need to jump in with both feet and I'm gonna jump in with my eyes open. This isn't about me, it's about them. And I guarantee it, you will find places and ways in which you can serve others. Now, before I tell you how to take that step, I wanna make a little caution for you. You can join a community group, a D group. You can come to the worship services. You could do a bazillion different things. You could try really hard to serve others and love others and fulfill all the one another's and you will dry up and shrivel up so quickly if you do not have a heart and a spirit that have been renewed by Christ Jesus. There must come a moment in your life when you say, Jesus, I need you inside me to change me. Your, your community begins with communion with Jesus Christ. So there must come a moment when you confess your sin and rebellion against Christ and say, forgive me for it. I want you to come in. And I want you to change me from the inside out. Until you receive the unconditional love of Christ, you cannot give unconditional love to anybody else. So before you take a step into any kind of group, just know that biblical community is predicated upon your heart being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if today you're going, all right, I know I'm selfish. I know I struggle. I need my heart changed. I'm ready to place my faith in Jesus Christ. Then we want to know it because we want to partner with you. It's very easy. All you got to do is get your phone out if you're watching this on your TV or computer and you can just text the word next step to 94253. If you're watching this on your phone, you can go to your computer. You can go to fielder.org slash next step and it'll take you to a quick form and you'll see a part on there that you're ready to follow Christ or you want to talk to a pastor and we will reach out to you quickly. We just want to know how we can serve you. But it begins there. So take that step first. But let me also say for those of you who are believers in Jesus, there are many of you, you've pulled away from biblical community. You used to be a part of it, but you've pulled away. And it's time for you to re-engage. Or there's many of you watching this and you're new to the community of faith and you haven't gotten engaged in biblical community, but the time is now because you need it. And so if that's you, I want to encourage you to take a step of faith, a bold step of faith to say, I'm ready to get into biblical community. And there are two places I want to recommend that you get involved. The first place is to jump into one of our community groups or our discipleship groups. Now, let me explain what those are. A community group is a group of believers that gather together, usually around 10 to 15 people. You know, most of the community groups, if you live in the DFW area, they, they take place in homes during the week, although we have on certain campuses, we have a number of on-campus groups. But the majority are what we call off-campus groups that meet in homes. And these are people, it could be a couples group, it could be a singles group, it could be a mixed group, it could be age-specific, it, it could be geographic, it could be anything in between, all different kinds of community groups. And they're built around serving together, studying the Bible together, and just doing life together. They're a great place to get connected with other people. So if you need that, I want to encourage you to consider that as an option. The second option you have are what are called discipleship groups. We call them D groups. Now, these are the place where you can really grow tremendously in your faith because they are designed to stir up love and good works in you, just like Hebrews 10 talked about. They're, they're groups that are usually gender specific, about three to five men together or three to five women together together. And they're designed to be that kind of voice that says, tell me, how are you doing? Not just like walking by, hey, how you doing? But looking at a person, how are you doing? Really? You, you find out life on life. You study the scriptures together deeply. You encourage each other. You call each other out. You, you build each other up. And it is intended to be intense life on life, life that is super catalytic in your faith. 
And if you are a person who needs that, then I want to encourage you to consider that as an option. So whether it's a community group or a discipleship group or both of them, it's the same way that you get involved. You go back to the same place I told you before. You can either, if, if you're on your computer or TV, text the word next step to 94253, or you can go to your computer, go to field.org slash next step. And you'll see under there, there's options for a discipleship group, options for a community group. You could check both of them. You can check a business. You may come to your faith in Christ and join a D group and join a community group. Praise the Lord. Do it all. It'll be amazing for you. But I want to encourage you to take a step of faith. Now, we've made the service shorter today. And the reason we've done that is to give you enough time not to go on to the next thing, but to stop right now and make that decision to take a step of faith. And if you do that, I want to encourage you. This is so important. Please hear me. There are a lot of people who will fill out a form and then we as a pastoral staff reach out and they don't return. You don't return our correspondence. So I want you to make a commitment right now while you're thinking clearly to take that step of faith, to reach out to us and let us know you're ready for your group. And then when you get contacted, and if you do this on Sunday morning, you'll get contacted within the next few hours. Now, if you do it later, it may take a little longer for us to contact you, but we will reach out to you. And I want you to commit before Almighty God, not before me, not before anybody else, before Almighty God, that when you get contacted, you will respond. You will answer the phone. You will return the text or the phone call, whatever it may be, because we want to help you get connected. So in a moment, I'm going to pray over you to make that kind of commitment. But what I'm asking you to do is to say yes today because you need it. Now, one last thing I want to mention. You're going to hear this from Zur. He's the online campus pastor in just a moment. And as he's concluding the service, he's going to tell you about a way that you can get connected to our, our online community right now. And we want to make sure that, especially if you're not in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, if you're somewhere else, that you get connected or if you just want to begin this way. And he's going to give you instructions on how to do that. So pay attention to it and take a step of faith today. But the most important thing is that you say, I'm ready. I'm not going to let this be a habit anymore for me to neglect biblical community. I need it and I'm ready for it. And that's my prayer for you. So guys, let me pray for you. And then Zero will finish up the service for us. Let's pray. Thank you, God, so much for this time. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for dying on the cross for us, Jesus. And thank you for inviting us, modeling community for us, and then inviting us into biblical community. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us discover the power of biblical community to confront loneliness and depression and anxiety and fear and suffering because you've designed us to do this life together. I pray for every person listening to this who needs to take a step of faith. Give them the boldness to do it and show them your power when they obey. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.